0: You can turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. We're back in the book of Colossians and excited to keep working our way through. In fact, we won't have too many more weeks. There's uh, one more chapter to get through. Uh, But we will work kind of quickly here towards the finish line of this letter. Uh, But before we Talk about the end. Let's deal with where we're at. Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17. Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17. And God's word reads as follows. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, And patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts Father through him. pray with me. Father, as we enter into your word, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you, God, for the mercies that you have shown us in Christ. And those who have been shown mercy ought also to be merciful. Those to whom you have shown grace ought also to be gracious. Those to whom you have given love must also give love. And so in this moment we ask that you would help us to be attentive to your word, recognizing that you expect much of us, and yet that is only because you have saved us and empower us by the Holy Spirit that now resides in us, and this all freely as a gift from Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome back. We're I'm excited to, to get back into this portion. We Uh, ended our our last time talking about putting sin to death. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And uh, this morning, we enter into verse 12. If we're to put sin away, what should we put on? What should we put on? Uh, The way that Paul writes this, this concept, it's a bit of an illustration for us. Um, And maybe I can help you get to the illustration by asking you a question. I mean, evidently with this Bible, you would know that I'd be preaching this morning. Um, Is there anything else that's been a dead giveaway that that I would preach this morning? Anything at all? The suit. suit. Okay? It's a dead giveaway. Uh, If I were to dress this morning in a hoodie and a beanie, you would think we're back at winter camp. And we're not, at all. The suit was a dead giveaway that I came to do something very particular, and it's, yes, be your pastor, but also to preach the Word of God. I think that we recognize that that's a reality not only for preachers, but around the world. Uh, This afternoon, I'm hoping that my San Francisco 49ers will crush the Dallas Cowboys. And in fact, the reason that I uh, would desire that and would know who they even are on the field is because they're going to wear red as opposed to blue. They have a particular uniform. They have a particular helmet. They have a particular symbol, and it it sets them apart from everyone else. They have a particular dress code, and it makes them the 49ers. If you were to walk into a, a hospital, you would expect that the doctor or the surgeon would walk up to you and hopefully be wearing one of those really nice white coats. Because that tells you that they know what they're doing. It sets them apart. You go in with your broken wrist, and they show up with their jacket. And that's how you know they're there. They are there to help you. They're set apart. And it works that way in many different aspects, right? In many different professions. How you dress tells us something about who you are. And that's exactly the imagery that Paul is using here to describe a Christian. In the same way that a a white jacket can delineate who a doctor is amongst a, a room of random people. Or in the same way that at Grace Church, a suit tells you that that person might be preaching today. Or in the same way that a particular color and logo tells you what team a player plays for. There is a particular dress code for every Christian. Now, mind you, this isn't talking about uh, the length of your skirt or whether or not you, homie, should be dressing in tank tops. Uh, Some of you definitely should, and your arms are too noodly. But (laughs) that's not the point of this put on that Paul is emphasizing here. When Paul talks about putting on, he's talking about how a Christian should dress spiritually. What is it that a man or woman of faith someone who professes new life in Christ, someone whose mind is set on things above, what is it that should adorn that kind of life? What is it that should embody that kind of life? What style of dress, what certain look should encompass a life of faith? And we learned last time we were together, it evidently isn't sin. In fact, Paul tells us to put those things off. Like you do at the end of the day when you have gone all day wearing the same clothes and you say, okay, this is dirty, I need to take it off. That's what you do with sin. That's what you do with things such as sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. That's what you do with anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk and lying. Those things have no room in the Christian's life. And they have no room in your life's attire. So what should you put on? That's what Paul seeks to answer for us this morning. And I want us to look at this through three different ways. One, we'll look at what you should wear. Secondly, we'll look at where you can find it. And thirdly, we'll look at how you can keep it on what you should wear, how, where you can find it, and how you can keep it on. And we're going to look at this so that truly, if you're here in this place now, if you call yourself a Christian, you can leave with assurance in your heart that you truly are one. I want you to be able to walk away having seen these words from Paul and say, yes, I know I'm a Christian because I dress like one. And spiritually speaking, that means I act like one. And not only do I think like one, but my thoughts, they drive me to live a certain way. They drive me to do certain things. They, They drive me to behave in a certain way. And I want to live in a way that would reflect my calling in Christ. We want you to have in this ministry full clarity about where you stand with God. And where you stand with God, one, it's a gift of grace because of Jesus' love for us. We recognize that. And none of us would be able to claim any of this spiritual attire if it were not for the grace of God. At the end of of chapter 2, Paul writes that we were dead in our trespasses. And God had to make us alive together with Him. And so, truly, no one can put these things on who hasn't been made new by Christ. And so, first and foremost, this particular wardrobe, it only belongs to people who've been made new. Before we step into it, we see that that's true because verse 12 says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, And those three terms, they're there to describe a Christian. A Christian is one who's chosen, one who's holy, one who's beloved. He's one who's been chosen before the foundations of the earth, like Ephesians 1 says. He's someone who's holy, someone who's being set apart, someone who's being distinguished from the rest of the world, no longer stuck in sin, now free to live for Christ. He's someone who's beloved, someone who has experienced God's special love, not simply that love that gives you breath in your lungs right now, not simply that love that bears you into a family that cares for you and nurtures you, not simply a love that allows you to enjoy relationships and friends, not simply a love that ensures that you have food on the table when you get home later but a love that ensures that you know who Christ is and that you've experienced his grace. And so to put this kind of wardrobe on, you must be chosen, holy, and beloved. And friends, that gives me an opportunity to ask you a very serious question. Do you know where you stand with God? Do you know where you stand with God? Have you been chosen? Has your life been set apart? And have you experienced the love of God that kills sin and seeks to honor your Savior? If you haven't, this is an opportunity by which you can make an assessment of your heart. But more importantly, you can know Christ wants to know you. He's demonstrated that by giving his life on a cross, by canceling the record of debt that stands against you because of your sins, and by rising again from the dead so that you don't have to fear death, you can give up on evil, and you can now have new life in him. Now, if you do have new life, then these words are for you. What is it that we should expect you to do? How should we expect you to live? If you are chosen, holy, and beloved, what are the expectations? Or to put it in the way Paul's saying it, what should you wear? Paul begins with five key elements to this wardrobe. Number one, what to wear. And we'll look at them quickly here. There's a lot to get through the first thing you should put on is a compassionate heart. A compassionate heart. Now this is only possible because those who are driven toward compassion have experienced it. And if you're a Christian, you recognize that you've experienced it most through the mercy of your Savior. Romans 12.1 Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The word here, mercies, by the mercies of God. Paul, as he urges this church to give their life wholly to Christ, he urges them by the mercies of God. Mercies really is the same word we see here. It's compassionate. Compassionate. Regardless of whether you want to or not, it's looking upon someone's state, it's looking upon someone's condition, and it's seeking to help. Regardless of if it's merited or not, whether it's earned or not, deserved or not, it's seeing like Jesus when he saw the crowds and said, these are like sheep without a shepherd." it's having compassion. It's seeing a need and it's doing something about it. It stirs up, you know, Paul says, and the word he uses, it's kind of funny to us, but it, it stirs up from the middle of your stomach. Yeah, and that sounds gross, and I know the mic made me sound like I got something stirring in my middle of the stomach. It's not true. Um, the reason Paul puts it that way, it's not because there's anything about your stomach that's super special. The only thing interesting about your stomach it's that it's the literal core of who you are. It's at the very middle of who you are. And so Paul's point is simply this. To be compassionate is to be someone who's moved at the core of their being to help others. That's a compassionate heart. And those who have been saved by God in the mercy and grace of Christ, they mimic his compassion. They dress with a compassionate heart. Secondly, they dress in kindness they dress in kindness and those two are very related and this too we recognize comes from the heart of God himself in fact none of you would have believed were it not for God's kindness none of you would know Christ in truth or in faith or would have eyes to see him if it were not for his kindness Romans 2 4 Paul gives a Rebuke to those who are not living in repentance, but listen to these words. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? I get it, many of you, and even myself, I remember being a teenager and One of the things that drove me to believe in Christ was such a fear of being in hell. Such a fear of God's punishment. And yet that fear drives us, if anything. And if it drives us in truth, it drives us to see not only should we be afraid of hell, we should rejoice in God's kindness. Absolutely, every Christian who believes will escape the fiery furnace that is an eternal hell. But what's even greater than that is that we will live in the everlasting loving kindness of Jesus' kingdom forever. This is the beauty of the gospel. It's that God has shown us kindness. If this is what God has shown us, isn't it also what we should show others? Kindness. Doing good unto others. Seeking to be of a blessing to others and not a burden. Kindness. Thirdly, in this wardrobe is humility. We are to put on compassionate hearts. We are to be kind. We are also to be humble. And I think when we think of humility, we we get a little bit worked up in our own minds and some of us, we kind of get a little bit squeamish because we're not exactly certain what that means. And I can help you out with that a little bit. In fact, more so, God can help you out with that a lot. Philippians 2, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. True humility. It's an expression of putting others before yourself. It is a life where you aren't the priority, but everyone else is. It's a life where you're okay taking the background so long as others are being served and loved by you. Don't get it twisted. A lot of people think of humility as some kind of self-abasement or self-deprecation or putting themselves down. That's not humility. That's pride. Humility is not that you think of yourself less, but it's that you think of others more. Humility is when you put others before yourself. Does that characterize your life? To be humble does that mean for you that you have to think less of yourself or put yourself down or treat yourself differently Being humble actually has nothing to do with you it has everything to do with everyone around you how you serve them how you love them and how you seek their best even if it comes at your own expense and it leads into our next point here not only are to be humble are you to characterize by humility but you're also to put on meekness or gentleness really the word that's being teased out here by paul it's self-control it's someone who knows how to govern themselves and this isn't someone who's weak just because you're gentle doesn't make you weak if anything someone who is gentle is someone who has power and knows how to restrain it It's someone who has strength and knows how to keep it in check. When I help my kids at home, I wrestle with them and I play with them, especially the boys. And I love to do that. But I need to be gentle, right? If I wrestle too hard with Nemo, he might break me. No, I might break him. I might break him, right? Because I'm bigger and I'm stronger, you would think, and I'm I'm much more able to do damage to him than he is to me. And so to be gentle isn't a sign of my own weakness. To be gentle with him would be a sign of love to him, deference to him, restraining my strength, understanding who he is. Be gentle with one another. Be meek regard each other in a way that would honor one another. If you are stronger in the faith, regard the weaker in a way that would help them, not hurt them. Be gentle. Last but certainly not least here, you are to put on a compassionate heart, a kind heart, a humble heart, a meek heart, and lastly, a patient heart a christian is someone who is characterized by all these things and it's tied up here by paul in this word patience patience it isn't just someone who waits around for an uber it's it's what you do it's how you live it's the it's the condition of your heart that isn't just waiting around but it waits with a purpose it waits with peace it waits with confidence it's what 1 Timothy 1.16 says. Here Paul writes, I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the, for, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. This too is a quality, a characteristic of virtue, even part of the wardrobe of heaven. It comes from the very wardrobe of heaven. It is a part of who God is. He is patient. How do you know that? Because as sinful as you are, as often as you have offended God, as often as you have rejected His word, as often as you have disregarded Christ, as often as in your heart you have said, there is no God, you're still sitting here. You're still sitting here. And that is a sign of God's everlasting patience god has every reason to take you out but instead he has you here listening to his word beholding his son recognizing his grace why because he's patient it's a devastating thing when god is that patient with us and we can't find any patience with each other a christian is someone who recognizes a need for patience Someone who recognizes that it's better to wait it out, to give things time, to defer judgment, to be kind and compassionate, to be meek and to be humble, and to be patient with others. It's a word that also communicates a sense of being willing to incur any injury or harm that would come from another. People in this room are going to offend you mightily. You don't need to go to a secular school, you don't need to go to a a secular place, you don't have to go to a store, you don't have to go out into the world to be hurt by anyone. People in this room will do that just fine. And I hope you recognize this. When we claim Christ and when we talk about Christianity and when we talk about the church, we're not talking about a place that's immune from problems. We're not talking about a place where uh, people get along all the time and it's so hunky-dory and we sing kumbaya and we dance in a circle and everyone's so happy all the time. No, the reason that we sit here and the reason that we have fellowship with each other, it's not because we're perfect, it's because we trust in Christ. And as we trust in him, it gives us great patience to put up with one another. Paul recognizes that that's a reality for us, and so he takes this a step further. Put on these qualities, these five attributes that come to us from the Godhead himself. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. And look at what action comes from that in verse 13. Someone who is like that, they will be bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, they will be forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Someone who is clothed in this kind of righteousness, they demonstrate it in the way that they relate to each other. And that should make perfect sense to us, right? What good is compassion or kindness or humility or meekness or patience with yourself? You can't show yourself those things. If you did, you'd be really weird. And in fact, we know that because the world is propagating that kind of agenda to you. Love yourself. Forgive yourself. Believe in yourself. Be kind to yourself. Be gracious to yourself. And it makes no sense whatsoever. Those are qualities to be demonstrated with one another. Put up with each other. People in this room will do very dumb things. People in this room will offend you. Bear with each other. And don't just hold on to that. If you have a complaint against someone, forgive them. Paul demonstrates to us here the true power of forgiveness and the true essence of knowing that you have been forgiven by Jesus. You want to know that you've been forgiven by Jesus? How easy is it for you to forgive someone else? Evidently, not when they come asking for it. It's not what he says. Look at who he talks to. If one of you has a complaint against another, forgive each other. It doesn't say, wait till that person comes back. Wait till that person walks in and and says, I'm sorry. Wait till that person sees it. Why, Why don't you be cold to them? If you're cold to them, then they'll see that they offended you, and then they they might come back, and then they might apologize, and then you can forgive them. It also doesn't say, go throw it in their face. It says, if you have a complaint against each other, forgive. If there's someone in this room today that you need to forgive, I pray that you would do it. If there's someone in your home that you need to forgive, I pray that you would do it someone in your friend group, someone in your school, if there's any animosity in your heart toward anyone at all, I pray that you would do it. And I pray so for Jesus' sake. Because someone who doesn't forgive cannot dare claim that they have experienced God's forgiveness. That's what Paul is saying. To harbor bitterness in your heart, nothing could look less like Jesus than that. To stay angry with someone else. To grow cold towards someone else. While you claim to know the love of God who owed you no love, no mercy, no compassion, no kindness. There's nothing less like Christ than to forego forgiving your brother or sister in Christ. Forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. Those who have been forgiven forgive a lot. That's what we ought to wear. That's our wardrobe. Uh, The question would be, where do we find this? Where can we find that kind of outfit? Where can we find this wardrobe that should model the Christian life? that should exemplify and show the world that we've truly been made new in Christ. Well, Paul tells us by giving us the ultimate piece of the wardrobe. Verse 14, here's where we can find it. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You know, there's people in the world who love to claim their compassion, they love to claim they have kindness. Oh, they're really humble. They're really meek and they're really patient. But if they're all those things without love, they're nothing. And so in verse 14, here is where you find all of these qualities brought together. In fact, some commentators were, have said, and, and I truly believe that this is right. If you have love, you will have the rest of these. And so there's a way in which Paul is saying here, if it's hard to keep up with this list, that's okay. Put on love and you'll have all of it. You want to have the qualities that should model a Christian life, then above all these things, above all the rest, above all the good things you can think of, put on love. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love as the more excellent way. Love is patient and kind. Love is enduring. Love is something that doesn't put up with wrongdoing, but loves truth. Love rejoices in truth. Uh, Love bears things. Love endures things. And love never ends. There is nothing that comes close to comparing to love. And Paul says, if you want to find the spiritual wardrobe that should be a part of every Christian's life, then you first and foremost must put on love. Now, you obviously must be wondering, what is love? It's from a dance in the 90s. It's okay. Sorry about that. I just felt it in my bones, and then I was like, oh, man, I remember that. Pepsi commercials. Anyway, it's weird. What is love? Everyone has a say on that, right? Everyone has a say on what love is. And I think it's an important point for us to be reminded here and now that as we're told to put on love, we can't define that in our own terms. We can't define that on the basis of how we feel. We can't define that on the basis of what we think. If we're to put on love, it needs to be characterized by the new life we've been given in Christ. God is love. There's no greater love than this, than that he should give his life for his friends. Because God so loved the world, he gave us his only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but should have everlasting life. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is love. Love is not what you want it to be. Love is what God has made it to be. And love is shown to us in the person and work of Jesus. And so if you are to put on love, you are to put on Christ. If you want to live with a spiritual wardrobe in your closet, then each and every day that you wake up, it's not just that you put on all these different qualities. It's that each and every day that you wake up, you put on the person and work of Christ. The one who did away with your sins, the one who did away with the old self, the one who took away the wrath that you deserved, the one who took away the penalty for your sins, the one who put it upon himself, the one who rose from the dead, the one who lives forever and the one who's coming again for his people. You put that on every day you can leave yourself at home. If you want to show the world that you have been made new, show them something new. If you want to show your friends that you've been made new, they don't need to see you again. They need to see Christ. Put on Christ. Why? Because this right here, it only works when all of us are striving towards Christ together. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. If our friendships are going to work at all, if this church is going to succeed at all, if we're going to be what it is that God wants us to be, and we're going to strive towards that together, It isn't going to be by some of us uh, looking like Christ and some of us uh, getting to do whatever we want. The only way that's going to be possible is by putting on love because love brings everything together. You recognize that. There's no relationship that you know of where there's love and things are going wrong. Where love is, things are set right. That's what Paul is saying here. And so if you want to find the qualities that should be modeled in your life, the wardrobe that we've already talked about, these things that you should put on, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, then consider first and foremost love. Love will make you like Christ, and love will also make you like Christ unto others. That's where you can find This wardrobe, it's wrapped up in love. Now, if we've found that, the question is, how do we commit to it, and how do we keep that on? How do we commit each and every day to putting on these qualities that Paul talks about here? And that answer is here for us in verses 15 to 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, this new spiritual wardrobe. There's three key ways that we can do this. One, we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. The peace of Christ must rule in our hearts. The peace of Christ, it's describing both the relationship that we now have with God because of God's work on the cross. He has broken down the wall of hostility, Ephesians 2 says. And so now we have peace with him. Our relationship with him has been restored. But not only that, we also have peace with one another. Love has bound us to God, but love has also bound us to one another. And where that takes place, there is perfect and supernatural peace. There's no longer a striving to please God. God is pleased in his son, and that pleases us. So there is peace. We're no longer controlled by our sins, and so now we have peace. There is a tranquility in our souls with God and with one another, and this peace, Paul says, must rule in our hearts. That word rule here, it isn't actually used elsewhere, and it has this connotation of kind of uh, acting like a referee or an umpire. A baseball game, it's really up to the umpire. Whenever a ball is thrown and the catcher catches it, it's either a ball or a strike, and it's all up to one guy. He governs the entire game. If you play in football, there's a referee, and when he throws a flag, whatever he says goes. They dictate the entire game. Sure, you might have scored a touchdown, but if he didn't say so, you didn't. Your life is must be governed it must be ruled every decision made with a knowledge and understanding and a living in the peace of christ that's what paul is saying paul says make every decision think every thought let your heart be guided and directed and instructed by nothing else but the peace that you now have in Jesus. An anxious heart can't make decisions. A fearful heart shouldn't make decisions. An angry heart shouldn't make decisions. A broken heart shouldn't make decisions. A peaceful heart, that's a heart ready to make decisions. A heart that is at peace with Christ and at peace with men that heart is ready for anything. If you are to live like a Christian and to live in these spiritual qualities that Paul is talking about here, you need the peace of Christ to govern everything that you do. And Paul makes that so clear for us. This peace, it leads us to be one body with one another. We work together together. Things gel together when we understand that peace. And so how can you hold on to the spiritual wardrobe? How can you be committed to it? Be committed to the peace of Christ that rules in your hearts. Secondly, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Just as you let peace rule in your hearts, you also let the word of Christ dwell in you. This is a description of Scripture. It's your Bible. It's God's Word. It's His inerrant, infallible Word. It's the only book in which nothing is wrong and nothing is short of absolute truth. Everything in here you need. Every story, every command, every truth. All of it should be in you. God's word should dwell in you. It should take residence in you. It should feel at home in you. And it should do so richly. Your life should be abundant in the teaching of Christ. It should be abundant in the word of God. It should be abundant in the truth of God. And listen, this isn't, I've mentioned this before, this isn't necessarily about how much you read or how long you read. It's about love. Do you love God's word? Those who love it, seek it. Those who love it, behold it. Those who love it will open it. Those who love it will treasure it. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. If you love God's word, it will dwell in you, not a little bit, not kinda, not sorta, richly. Is your heart swelling with the riches of Christ's word? Do you have a love and an appetite to know more of God? That's what Paul is saying here. You aren't going to be able to commit to these qualities that Paul's talked about if you don't love the God who's inspired them and granted that life to you. If you are to grow up in Christ, if you are to be who you are now as a new creation in him, you must then love his word because in his words are eternal life. In his word is everything that you need towards life and godliness. What's your relationship with the word of God? What's your relationship with the with the scriptures? Is it something that you yearn for? Is it something that you run towards? Is it the thing that is the basis of your life? Is it what instructs your decisions? Is it what instructs your thinking? Is it what instructs your doing? Is it what instructs your habits? Or is your heart filled with every other opinion under the sun? Maybe there's no room for the word in your heart because it's filled up with lies, thoughts, opinions, perspectives, textbook answers. You need to make your heart a place where the word of God feels at home. A place where not only is it stored up, but it's stored up until the point that it's overflowing. That's the imagery Paul kind of gives us here. Let the word dwell in you richly. And when you do that, there's certain things that follow. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. someone whose heart is filled with the word of Christ, there's someone who then pours that out to others. That's what Paul is saying. When the word of Christ dwells richly in you, you can't think of anything better to do with it, but to help others see it and store it up. You teach, you admonish one another. You impart wisdom to one another. Not because you read a lot, but because you've stored up the treasures of God's wisdom in your heart. And so you help one another understand life and live life in accordance not with your own ways, not with your own thoughts, but with God's ways and his words. Not only so, someone who's got the word of Christ dwelling in them richly, they sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And the point of this isn't to tell you whether you should be singing Gettys or old school hymns. Like that's not the point of what he's saying. You should sing all of it. In fact, the point is this, where there is proper theology, there's proper doxology. I need to put that a lot more simpler. I get that. I'm thinking about it right now. Where there's a proper understanding of Christ, there are people who want to praise Christ. Where where people know Christ rightly, they want to worship Christ rightly. When people know the love of God, they want to sing about the love of God. When people experience God, they want to express to God just how much they've experienced Him. This should model you. This should be your life. Are you someone who has known Christ? You've understood the peace that He's granted you. You understand His word and you love His word. Then let's see it in the way that you praise Him. Let's see it in the way that you worship Him. And it's not a call to see you start clapping hands and running back and forth. That's not the point. The point is that your heart now has a new tune. It has a new song that it sings. And hey, you recognize this. Like when I bite into a spicy deluxe sandwich from Chick-fil-A, I start singing songs. It's so bomb. And so I just I feel good. I feel happy. I start singing songs, you know. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine because this sandwich is so bomb right now. You sing when good things happen in your life. Don't you? Sometimes you're just singing. You, you, someone comes around and they go, why, why, are you, why are you singing that song? You're terrible at singing. You shouldn't be doing it. Don't sign up for the choir. It's not a good idea for you. Why are you singing? Sometimes it naturally stirs up because life is just that good. Friends, nothing gets better than knowing Christ and being known by him. And if that's you, we ought to see you joyfully praising him. Lastly here, how can you keep your life in a rhythm that's dedicated to this spiritual wardrobe? Verse 17, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You let the peace of Christ rule in you. You let the word of Christ dwell in you. And you let the life of Christ live itself out through you. You let the life of Christ live itself out through you. Whatever you do. Whatever you do, I don't know. What what do you do? What do you do? I don't know what you do. You like to color and paint and stuff, or you like to watch a TV show? You like to play with toys? Yeah? No, nah, that was me thinking of my son. <laughs> Uh, You like to play video games? You like to hang out together? You like to go to the mall? You like to go on roller coasters? Whatever you like to do. I don't know. I don't need to know. God knows. And he said, whatever you do, whether it's something you say or something you do, do it with a particular purpose. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let every action of your life point back to who you are in Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Everything you say, everything you do, let it declare to the world that Jesus is Lord. Everything in your life should reflect his life. It should reflect that he has made you new. It should reflect that you are no longer who you once were should reflect that you have been saved and that if you've been saved, that you're also being sanctified. It should reflect that your life is a work in progress and you love that. You don't love sin anymore. It might creep up every so often. It might come back in, but you don't want that. You put that to death. What's earthly in me, I don't desire it. I long to see it dead. But the things of God, in whatever I do, I'll seek to honor him. I now bear his name. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so everything I do, I do it in his name. Friends, if you are a Christian, this is your life. There's no way around it. You can't keep living for you. You can't live simply for others or the expectations of others. You live now for the name of the Lord Jesus. You'll notice that in Keeping this wardrobe close at hand. And living a life that is putting on the things that God would desire of you. In order to keep all of that on, Paul has a very particular thing in mind that will help you do it. It's absolutely the peace of Christ. It's the word of Christ. It's the life of Christ. It's also simply this. Gratitude. It's thankfulness. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach, admonish, sing all the songs that God puts in your heart and do it with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, word or deed, everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks. To God the Father through him. You want to put on the life that would honor God? You want to put on a life that would reflect that you've been made new? You must live every day with a particular gratitude. Knowing that God owes you nothing and yet has given you everything. Though undeserving as you were, God gave you his son, and that's enough reason each and every morning to wake up and sing his praises. That's reason each and every day to go out into the world, no matter what your circumstances might be, no matter what family you might come from, no matter what background you might have, no matter what finances your home doesn't have right now, no matter who's sick in your family, who died last week, No matter what's going on in life right now, it gives you every opportunity to wake up with a grateful heart and say, I will be compassionate. I will be kind. I I will be humble. I'll be meek. I'll be patient. And above all those things, I will love. Why? Because I know Christ and Christ knows me. He has transformed my life. Not from the outside in. That's the way the world would want to see it. But from the inside out. He's made me new, and he started with my heart. Notice, Paul doesn't tell us here anything about what you do at church, how many times you read your Bible, how many songs you sing today, how many services you go to, what Bible studies you go to, who needs to be your friend in this group. It's not the point. The point is that Christ has now changed your heart, and we ought to see it on a daily basis in the way you live every decision you make must bear the image of a new heart, the heart of Christ. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, that in Christ we have been made new. And because of this, the things we do, it's not that they're irrelevant, but they must come from the heart. To do things apart from a heart that's been transformed, Uh, That would simply be legalism. That would be religion. That would be striving to please God, but not in God's way. Lord, to love and to not demonstrate any of these things would be hypocrisy. It would be a sign that we say a lot of things with our mouth, but we evidently have not been changed in our hearts. And so, Lord, make us Christians who are Christians in whole. Christians who... From the heart, we have been changed, and so it affects everything we do in life. Change us, Lord, from the inside out. Thank you for doing away with the old self. Thank you for ushering a new creation, one that now lives for Christ and seeks his glory. We thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.